feel a little like I'm missing out because I can't go to Andy's Bible study help before this. You know, I've got to pass the test first, maybe. Okay. How's everyone doing? Okay? Yeah? Good to see everyone. As I always say, it's a real privilege to be able to stand up here and speak to you all. Um, and hopefully, God is really going to work this morning. Um, I'm just going to add to that prayer from Suze just to kick off. Lord, we thank you that we can be here with you this morning, Lord. We ask that you would give us the mind to really receive whatever message you want to give this morning, Lord. It's your word. It's you speaking, Lord. I'm just your vessel, Lord, this morning. So speak, Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been working our way through um, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Um, and today we're going to be looking at verse 5, which says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's where we're focusing today. Now the word meek here very much means the same as gentle. So if I use gentle, uh, meek, it might be a little bit interchangeable today um, when I'm speaking. Now some of you will know that when I was younger, um, sort of coming out of primary school age, going into secondary school, I was already quite a big lad. Um, you know, as me and uh, my best friend Matt walked to secondary school, um, we sort of came in and people think, probably thought we were the teachers. Um, <laughs> you know, already had fuzzy, fuzzy lips, um, strapping lads. But one of the things that I really wanted to get into when I was in secondary school was playing rugby. Something Dad played when he was in school. So, oh, this could be something for me. You know, I'm big, I'm strong, uh, athletic. I was a little bit lighter then, a little less, you know, heavy now. Um, but I was also at the obviously brought up in a good Christian home, decent parents, you know, above average. Um, <laughs> and I had three sisters as well. So for me, I was always brought up being told, you know, aggression is wrong, violence is wrong. We have to sort of contain ourselves um, and be really careful. So there were two sides of my head when I started playing rugby. I had this, like, you know, I'm a big hulking lag. I should be able to just roll over these guys. But my mind wouldn't let me do it. And for the first couple of years of playing rugby, I was pretty useless, to be honest. Um, and so much so, so much so that I only found this out later. Because um, one of my coaches, they gave me the nickname the BFG, the big friendly giant. Because I just didn't have it in me. I only found that out as well. Um, we used to have a church football team that would play on a sun, uh, Saturday morning. And do you remember Phil Evans? Some of you might remember. He went to grammar and he was having a chat with one of my coaches while I was playing. And the coach told him what my nickname was, you know. You don't really let kids know that you've given kids a nickname, but I found it out anyway. Now, later on, after a couple of years of that, there was one specific game I remember where something just clicked in my mind that I was allowed to try, I was allowed to have a go, that while I was on the rugby pitch, being a bit aggressive and using those skills that God had given me was okay. Um, and I think in that year, in the 18 games I played, I scored like 24 tries or something like that. Because at that point, people were still about two foot smaller than me. <laughs> so it was okay. After that, I didn't enjoy it quite as much because everyone slowly <laughs> crept up. Um, anyway, so gentleness or meekness has nothing to do with being weak or wimpy. It's a word that was used to describe a stallion that has been tamed or broken. Um, the tame stallion still has as much power and energy as when it was wild, but now its incredible power can be controlled and it could be made useful to its master. And church, this is what God wants to do with you and me. He wants to bring our strength under his control so that we can be useful to him. 
Did you know that there are only two people in the entire Bible um, that were called gentle? Both were men, both were leaders, and both were very, very powerful. And these were Jesus and Moses. Now, Moses was a man who went toe-to-toe with the Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler of his day. And he led two to three, probably million people out of slavery from Egypt, which was the most powerful nation of its day. And later, while in the wilderness, uh, when he went up to Mount Sinai and he came down, he saw some of the people um, worshipping a golden calf. You know, he didn't run away crying, ashamed. No, he boldly placed his body at the entrance to the camp so that if anyone wanted to escape, they had to go through him. And he called upon any of the people who had remained faithful to God to bear their swords and to kill all of those who had turned against the Lord. Moses was no wimp. And what about Jesus? Well, Jesus was raised a carpenter's son. We know this. And in those days, he didn't have power tools. Uh, He had the bend of his back and the push of his arms. And later in life, one day he was speaking in his own hometown. And when he was done, the crowd was so upset that they drove him and his people out to the edge of a cliff where they wanted to throw him off. But instead, Jesus turned And there was something so powerful in his presence that he just walked right through their midst and no one dare lay a hand on him. On another occasion, a different group of people were so excited um, about Jesus being there that they wanted to make him king. But once again, Jesus was never going to let something happen that he didn't have a plan for. And then, of course, there's the situation at the temple where Jesus was so disgusted and angered by the money changers as they desecrated his father's house that he took a whip and he drove them out. Jesus was no wimp. Both Moses and Jesus were gentle, not because they were wimps, but because they were willing to put their strength under the father's control. Gentleness and meekness are strength under control. God's control. In Galatians 5.23, Paul lists gentleness as the eighth of nine fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness is something that God wants all of his children to possess. As a matter of fact, God so longs for this to happen that he has taken it upon himself to help transform us into more gentle people. And the key player in our transformation is the Holy Spirit who the Father has commissioned to work overtime in our lives to help transform us from the inside out. You know, you might say, well, is there anything that we can do to help this transformation? Is there anything I can do to open myself up to becoming more gentle? Of course there is. We need to cooperate with God. When the Holy Spirit nudges you, or when he gives you one of those well-placed elbows in the ribs, okay, we need to wake up and allow the gentleness that you have received from God to flow into others. Now, I want to give um, all of us this morning five practical ways to do that. Five practical ways that God wants to help bring our strength under his control for his glory. By doing this, Matthew 5.5 says that we will inherit the earth, meaning that we're going to be rewarded in heaven. Philippians 4 verse 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
You know what that means? It means that you have a choice. It means that you can either become a channel for God's gentleness or a dam. You can either let it flow or you can block it up. The choice is yours. You see, God is gentle. And even though he's commissioned the Holy Spirit to help transform you, the Holy Spirit isn't going to plow his way in. He's not going to superimpose his will on yours. Why? Because he's a gentleman. But if you're open and if you're willing, the Holy Spirit will help transform you into a more gentle person. And your gentleness will be evident to all. So what are these five things that I want to recommend this morning? Well, firstly, God wants to bring our strength under control by helping us become more understanding and less demanding. Philippians 2 verse 4 says, Each of you should not only look Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How do we treat the people that serve us? How do we treat waitresses or delivery drivers, secretaries, employees, salesmen, people on the other end of the phone, or other people who serve us through their jobs? Are we rude and demanding, impersonal and indifferent? Do we treat them like they're part of the machinery? Or do you try to understand that maybe they're having a hard day as well? I've got a pastor friend in America who we visited over the summer. And he was telling me how he knew some, he knows some waitresses who work um, the busy shifts after church on Sundays. And Derek would say that um, he always assumed that these shifts would be the best ones to work. Because the people would come out of church into the restaurants... Um, and, you know, that they would be kind, polite, and give good tips, which in America is a really big thing. You know, he told me that a lot of the waitresses actually said that these are some of the worst shifts to work, that they would be treated the rudest, and that the people there would leave the smallest tips. And the waitress said to Derek that that's why she doesn't go to church. If that's what church does to you, I don't want anything to do with it. Now, this kind of damage is one of the reasons why God wants to bring our strength under his control. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit and be understanding, not demanding of those who serve us. Secondly, God wants to bring our strength under control by helping us become more gracious and less judgmental. Galatians 6.1 says, If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now, I believe that the temptation Paul is talking about here is the temptation to be judgmental, to be holier than thou, to look down our Christian noses at others that have stumbled and fallen. And Paul says to this, watch out. Don't be tempted. Instead, look for ways to gently restore the one who has fallen. So what reaction do we have when people mess up? Do you secretly think, I told you so. It serves you right. How could you be so stupid? How do you act towards those who mess up their lives? Romans 15 verse 7 says, accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you. 
sorry, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You want to bring praise to God as a Christian, then when people mess up, accept them as Christ has accepted us. Think about it. If our righteous, holy, and perfect God can put up with our inconsistencies and our weakness and our imperfections, he can certainly help us put up with the shortcomings of others. Do you want to become more gentle? Then the next time you feel that holier-than-thou feeling, remember how much our holy, holy, holy God has forgiven us. Because the more we live in a constant awareness of God's grace to us, the gentler and more gracious we will be to others. Thirdly, God wants to bring our strength under control by helping us to become teachable and not unreachable. Sort of rhymes, you like it? When someone corrects us, are you teachable or unreachable? As a teacher myself, sometimes I feel like my class are totally unreachable. I'll tell you. Hopefully there's no parents watching. Um, anyway, Proverbs 13, 18 says, whoever heeds correction is honoured. You know, I admire people who have the attitude of teach me, show me, make me better. And I admire them because I've been around long enough now to, those, to know that those people change quite quickly. They grow quite quickly into better people, more quality individuals because of that attitude. And I want to be that way as well. I want to be teachable. I read this story in a book uh, about preaching, and the story was set in a New Testament class in a seminary, and they were talking about the subject of preaching, and a couple of guys were sharing that to their professor that they'd heard a preacher recently that they felt they couldn't get anything from. You know, they were listening, and they were saying, you know, what is he saying? And they were asking their professor if they've, he's ever been in that situation. And the professor took a bit of time to contemplate this. And then he said to them, a wise man can get crumbs off any table. You know, his point is, if you're willing and open, you can learn from anybody. Who are we willing to learn from? Husbands, are you willing to learn from your wives? Wives, are you willing to learn from your husbands? Bosses, are you willing to learn from your employees? And the other way around. Are we willing to learn from our kids? You know, Toby's only four years old, but I feel like there's a lot I've learned from him already, even if most of it is dinosaurs and slugs. <laughs> Let me tell you how to end up lonely in life. Never admit any mistakes. Never learn from anyone. And never let anyone teach you anything. If you do those things, then I can pretty much guarantee you'll end up lonely. Nobody has all the answers. I don't. You don't. Nobody does. And that's why gentleness involves being willing to learn from others. Gentleness is also being able to admit when we're wrong. James says this is also the attitude we should have about God's word. James 1.21 says, humbly accept the word planted in you. Notice that word humbly. In the Greek, I'm told, it means that humble and gentle are the same word. Uh, and it means that be teachable and not unreachable. It means, God, I want my strength to come under your control. 
so teach me from your word. When we approach God's word, we ought to approach it with a gentle or humble attitude, saying, God, I'm willing to be taught. I want to be teachable. The fourth thing, fourth thing is that God wants to bring our strength under control by helping us to become an actor and not a reactor. When someone hurts you, are you an actor or a reactor? And by actor, I don't mean a hypocrite or a pretender, but someone who initiates action, Christ-like action. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I believe this is the power of action over reaction. To retaliate is to react. To overcome is to act. There's an American columnist called Sidney Harris, and he tells a story of how he and a friend um, were walking to get, the friend wanted to get a newspaper. Um, and, you know, as he did every day, he greeted the salesman very courteously, polite. Um, however, in return, the salesman was really kind of gruff and rude and just sort of shoved the paper in his hands. And as Sidney and his friend walked away, Sidney asked, you know, is he like that every day? Is that how he acts to you? Is he always so rude? His friend said, yes. And Sidney asked, you know, are you always so polite to him? And his friend said, yeah. And Sidney asked, why then? Why would you always be so polite and friendly? And his friend said this, he said, because I don't want him to decide how I am going to act. Now that's gentleness. That's strength under control. When someone hurts you, are you an actor? Is your strength under control? Or are you a reactor waiting to blow up? Strength is found in gentleness. And gentleness is the ability to handle hurt without retaliating. It's the ability to absorb a blow without striking back. Jesus called this turning the cheek. And you know, we can say, well, that's a lot easier than said than done. And you're right, it is. And you can say it's not natural to respond that way. And you know what? It's not natural to respond that way, but it's supernatural. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You and I need God to respond this way. With the Spirit's help, you can become an actor instead of a reactor. Now, the fifth and final um, bit of advice. I believe God wants to bring our strength under control by helping us to become more respectful. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Respect for God and respect for the person you're sharing it with. You see, the manner that we share the gospel can have a tremendous impact on how willing a person is to listen to us. In fact, our attitude can sometimes speak more powerfully than the words of our message. Studies indicate that when two people are communicating, just 7% um, comes through the words we choose. 55% roughly through nonverbal communication and 38 communicated through the tone of voice. The fact is, people need the good news, don't they? Yeah? They need Jesus Christ, the purpose, the fulfillment, the joy, the forgiveness, the love that comes in a relationship with him. But our attitude 
can keep them from receiving it sometimes. There are two ways to get an egg out of an eggshell. One way is to crack it open. The other way is to put it in a warm, loving environment and let that egg incubate and hatch itself. The second way preserves the chick. The first way kills it. Likewise, there are two ways to get the good news across to people. One, we can pound them on the head with it. Or two, we can love them into the family of God. And by far the most effective way to share the gospel with unbelievers is to authentically and genuinely love them with the same love of God that God has given us. And then, in that gentle, love-filled context, share with them the awesome good news about Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate that with a story, a true story. In 1991, Sharon Fryer noticed a homeless woman living in an alley behind her workplace. She was moved by this situation, so she left her out some clothes and an umbrella. And when she saw the woman using these things, she was you know, overjoyed. She felt like she was making a difference. So she started to volunteer at a homeless shelter. And she says what she saw changed her life. There was a man in a wheelchair his knees were drawn up and he was wearing what looked like a nappy. And she said, what I learned, when I learned that most of these 30 or 40 people in the homeless shelter had AIDS, I went into shock and began to worry that I'd been exposed to the dreaded disease. But then something else happened. As I chatted one, with one of the men, he asked me to promise to come back. To promise to come back. He said, no one ever comes back. And with that, her heart broke. And so twice a week, she went back to that shelter, armed with nothing but fizzy drinks, a gentle heart, and a serving spirit. She listened to people's stories, which too often included rejection by church-going parents or sexual abuse by church leaders. She also shared the gospel with those that she visited. In 1993, Sharon got involved with the Vineyard Church in Columbus, Ohio, where church leaders asked her to lead a compassion ministry. Now, Project Compassion, as it's now called today, has trained more than 900 volunteers to befriend people with HIV and AIDS. And because many of these people are really sick, they can't do some of the basic tasks of life. So the people from Project Compassion, they cut their hair, they clean their homes, they play games with them or watch TV, they do their shopping. They do all the things that any good friend would. And then along the way, opportunities arise for spiritual discussion as well. And the impact has been amazing. Sharon says that all of the clients in the last 13 years who have had a dedicated volunteer, Christian mentor, have come to Christ before they died. All of them genuine relationships and friendships passing on that love of Christ church there are two ways to get the good news to people we can pound them on the head or we can love them into the family of God we can prayerfully surround them with the same incredible love that God has given us and then in that gentle love filled context we can share the good news of Jesus that news about forgiveness
Jesus was gentle, and he wants us to be gentle in telling others about him. So God wants us to take a gentle approach to life. He wants our strength to come under his control by helping us to become more understanding and less demanding. To help us become more gracious and less judgmental. To help us become teachable, not unreachable. By helping us become an actor, not a reactor, and helping us to become more respectful. Now, as, as I was saying that list um, of the ways that God wants to bring our strength under his control, how might God speak to you this morning? Just take a second to take an inventory of your life. Think about where you are truly strong. Some of you, I know, are strong leaders. Some of you are strong greeters. You have the gift of hospitality. Some of you are strong teachers. Others are strong support people. You quietly serve in the background. Some of you are strong financially. And some of you are strong visionaries. I don't know all of your strengths, but you do, and God does. So this morning, how would having your strength under God's control change your direction and purpose in life? How would it change the way you act toward other people? How would it change the way you witness your faith? Church, like I said, I don't know what your, all your strengths are. But God does. If your strength was truly under God's control, what would God do with it? What would he do through you? You know, after Pentecost, the disciples allowed their strength to come under God's control. And what happened? They turned the world upside down. With that in mind, what God did through them, he wants to do through us now. But we've got to be willing to put our strength under his control. And we've got to act on what he tells us to do. Now the band are going to come up and we're going to worship some more. But I'm just going to pray to finish. Lord, we thank you for your gentleness, Lord, and how you are with us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we this morning come to you. Lord, we want to put our strength under your control. Lord, we know that in this life, Lord, we want to be a witness to our friends and families, Lord God, to the people we meet. And that the best way to do that is to love them like you love us. So we pray this morning, Lord God, that as we leave this place, that you would work through us, Lord Jesus. That you would help to show us the areas of our lives that we need to bring under your control. Lord, you know our gifts. You know our strengths. Speak to us this morning about how can you use those areas, Lord God, whether it's in church or outside. Dear Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.